God put his fingerprints on you with gifts that he gave you that nobody else has. Not only that, don't forget that it's not only your gifts, it's the experiences that have led you to today. There's literally no other single human being on earth that has had those same experiences mixed with those same skill sets. That is a cocktail for you to have the most impact on the world. So look back and see the five, seven, ten things that have impacted you the most in your life, positive and negative, and realize that, you know, to use the Tony Robbins quote, life happens for you, not to you. So if you recognize your innate skill set and you're not sure what to do next, just show up and serve. And I will tell you, when you show up and serve in any capacity, opportunity flies at you like unbelievably. Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Tonight's guest is a master storyteller, as evidenced by the 15 Emmys he's won. Nick Nanton has interviewed, produced documentaries about, and worked on other projects with notable people like Sir Richard Branson, Steve Forbes, Larry King, and Will I Am. He's the co-founder of DNA, a full-service media, marketing, and PR agency, and the largest personal branding agency in the world, representing more than 3,000 clients in 60 countries. Nick joins us tonight to share his story and insights into how to succeed in a media-saturated world. Nick, welcome to Grayson 30. Thanks for having me. So, Nick, I've got to start off by asking, how does anyone win 15 Emmy Awards? Uh, the, the short story is I Googled how to win an Emmy and I followed the directions. That is a true story. Um, but there's a lot to it where, you know, the real thing was, you know, you have to tell a story the right way. But the the only reason I really did that is I had, I'd been a, I've been a songwriter my whole life and I'd entered multiple songwriting competitions in the past. And then I had judged music festivals and songwriting competitions. And I realized that so many times, um, someone didn't win something because they just were entered in the wrong category. Like so many times I saw that, like, wow, this is incredible. It just doesn't fit this category. So I realized I didn't know what I didn't know. I had never entered Emmys before. So what do I need to know in order to make sure that I'm entered correctly? So that's, that's the the short fun answer. Uh, but look, I mean, I didn't start out as a filmmaker. I went to law school. Um, I really, uh, how did I win 15 Emmys is by being curious, I guess, and by asking, asking questions and trying to tell good stories. So how do you tell a good story? Is that 90% of the secret sauce or are there other things you have to do? Uh, and that's a great question. I think I'm constantly trying to get better at that. Uh, there's, how do you tell a good story? I think it's by being interested in your subject more than you're interested in yourself. Uh, and then being interested in how do I draw, how do I draw an audience? And I was having a conversation about this yesterday. A young filmmaker from the UK asked me for some advice and he was just, he was just asking questions. And I, I said, you know, I, I feel like what I'm really trying to do when I'm, when I'm sharing someone's story on film is I'm trying at the end, I'm trying to get someone for the most part a viewer to put themselves in the shoes of the character on the screen to say, Hmm, what would I have done? And so to me, that's, I I think at the end of the day, that's uh, one of the things I strive for is like, how do I make this so relatable that you wonder what might you have done if you were in the shoes of, of that same person? So a large measure of empathy is involved, correct? That's a great way to put it. Yes, I, I think so. Certainly in, in my style of storytelling, there's, there's many styles, but that's, that's what I shoot for. I really am striving for human connection. 
So if you had to give yourself a one or two word name that kind of indicated your higher purpose, what you were created to do, what would that name be? Serving others. Interesting, because when I think of you, the word that pops out is storyteller. What's funny, so titles like that are really interesting. I find like most of the time those titles are given to you by someone else, right? So I was just thinking about it recently. I've made 60 something documentaries. We've, you know, had some, some success, had some things I wish I did differently, you know, all the, like anybody. But I, up until recently when I started talking about a lot and getting interviewed a lot about it, I don't think that I would have like particularly said, you know what? I'm a storyteller. Like to me, a storyteller sounds like, you know, a guy on his typewriter with a pipe somewhere, like in a tweed jacket. Like we all have these images and it's typically not us and that's okay. But so I like, it's funny. I, my Runkeeper app, um, you know, uh, and I think this is what happens to many of us. Like, like, our expertise in a way sneaks up on us because we all start out from a place of, of, uh, of being a novice and trying to learn and trying to gain mastery. And I don't, it's very diff- difficult to get to a point where you say, oh, now I'm a master. Like, I don't consider myself a master storyteller. Like, I consider myself a, a guy on a journey trying to trying to get better. And so, like, my runkeeper told me that I'd run 133 miles in November. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm a runner. But, like, I've been <laughs> running, like, I don't know, probably 50 to 100 miles for the last 10 years. But I would, I don't. I never classified myself as a runner. I just a guy trying to keep in shape and, and get better. And so I, I love titles because they're very helpful in helping other people uh, understand what it is that you do. And, and so I, and I think they're very important, but I think just, I want to acknowledge the fact that most of the time, we don't give ourselves the titles others would give us. And there's, there's grace in that, by the way. But you, it's also okay to step into the title and think, you know, I, I've worked with so many bands over the years that would say, oh, you know, I'm not like anybody else. And that's like, that's, that is the kiss of death. Because if you're going to let someone else describe what you sound like, it's not going to be what you want. So you really mm. do need to try to fit in a box for people to at least have a context for you. If you don't fit in anyone's box, they're probably never going to remember anything about you because they just don't have a way to process who you are and what you do. So it sounds like what you're saying is that this is externally reported in a sense. And what's kind of cool about that is once you kind of come to know that, it keeps you focused on your higher purpose. So I said storyteller, you said serving others. How do you serve others through your storytelling? So one of the reasons I make the films that I make, and I've, I've never had my films funded by uh, a network or I, I, I've always found ways to cobble the funding together myself through family and friends and other things like that. And one of the reasons I've done it is because um, many times I can't convince some major studio or network, whatever, like that this is a story that they should spend their money on, but it's a story I want to tell. And most of the stories I want to tell is because I'm trying to create a library uh, for my younger self, if you will. I'm trying to create a library for my kids. I'm trying to create a library for the people, you know, I have now had the good fortune and the luck. So much of this is, is luck, right? I mean, it's like so many things or, I mean, and, and uh, so many things are, are uh, blessings that I can, I couldn't, 
I can't control this. Like, thankfully, I'm not in control of all this. So I've been put in a position of stewardship of knowledge, right? And so I've been blessed to be in Tony Robbins' house multiple times and do things like there's a lot of people who will never get that opportunity. And it doesn't, I don't take it as that means I'm better than anyone else. I, I take it that means that I was put there for a purpose. So my purpose is if I'm interviewing Tony Robbins, or you mentioned Will I Am or Larry King, or like, how can I take this knowledge and package it up in a way that a younger version of myself or someone in a foreign country or someone without the means to travel or go somewhere or even a disability that won't allow them to, to move out of a hospital, how could I bless them and serve them with knowledge and stories that would inspire them that maybe they wouldn't have gotten any other way? So you're imparting this information to try to change people's lives for the better, correct? That's what, that's what I'm trying to do. I won't do any, like, I try to bring heart and hope to every story. And one of the most interesting things about, like, I was, I was filming an undercover pedophile sting last week. Um, and one of the hardest parts about that is that I'm literally watching a person where their life is coming, the life as they knew it is coming to an end, like never going to be the same again. And there's the human part of me is like, um, like the visceral part is like, they just, you know, these predators deserve this, right? Like you, like justice. And then you're like, but they're just human beings. And, you know, maybe, you know, and there's so much I don't understand between, you know, the uh, pedophilia as a, a sickness, right? Or as a disease, as in like an alcoholism. And I'm not defending. I just saying I don't understand. But then the like, it's hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to understand that there's, I mean, very practically, it's hard for me to understand there's a God big enough to find grace and to find and to find redemption for this human being in this scenario that I can't give them. I'm not capable of giving them grace. This one. I'm like, you are sick and you are trying to do this to a child. You deserve to, I mean, you deserve to rot in hell is what I like, what the human part of me is saying, but I, I've, I've learned over time to try to process and to be thankful for the fact that, you know, I'm not in control of all that. And, you know, we all make mistakes of varying degrees and it's usually, um, it's usually momentum from life events that lead you down roads that um, step f- 5,000 you never would have intended at step one, right? So, uh, so it's just so interesting to, to try to try to examine all of that. Uh, I don't know if I answered your question right, but it, ma- it made me think of that. You're talking about something that I talk about all the time, which is grace. It's realness. It's superpower. It's practicality and beauty. And, and I've realized over the years that the more we realize we've been forgiven, the more empathetic and willing to forgive even the worst crimes we will be when we understand how much we've been forgiven. Yeah. And so I, you know, in the like in in that in this scenario, for instance, like I'm trying to make a film that educates parents like myself who had no idea how human trafficking is really happening in our backyards in America right now. And so this is a piece of the story, you know, a, really a justice piece showing there are people out there fighting for this. There, There is hope. There are people, you know, dedicating their lives to, to doing undercover busts and stings and rescuing kids and uh, like all these things. But I won't do the film if there isn't some level of hope to it. Now, now, I'm not in this in this film. I'm not presenting any sort of hope for this perpetrator. Like this is not the purpose of the film. But as a human being, I hope there's hope for them somewhere. I, I don't know what that is, but I always try to bring you know a depth of hope to any any subject that I'm covering. Let's talk about some of the stories that you've uh, worked on. I mean, you've been doing this for a number of years. 
I'd love to hear about what's the most memorable or impactful story that you've worked on. I mean, man, that's so you meet so many fascinating people. And the coolest thing about film is like when I'm if I'm telling someone's story, they don't say, oh, you should interview I don't know, this lame person. They're like, oh, you should interview Will I Am. You should interview the governor, the president. Like, so that's super cool because I love people and connecting with new people and just learning from them um, and learning about their stories and how they got to where they are. Uh, I would say, I think very clearly one of the most impactful and, and it just by the nature of you could see by the work I'm doing how much it impacted me um, is the first film I did on human trafficking in Haiti which led to another film in Colombia which is finished but not out yet which led to another film in Iraq we were filming in Iraq in February when the first corona cases broke out there and got out quickly and then you know I'm now finishing this one on human trafficking in America so I mean modern day slavery was something I just didn't even I didn't even think about right and so no matter where you're at in whatever your bubble is. And so um, I just, we don't, we don't think about these things and it's really, I'm also fascinated by the fact that in so many cases, we don't think about these things because we don't have to in a lot of ways, because it really won't affect most of our lives, thankfully, but doesn't mean we should turn a blind eye to it because, so it's like, it's really this thing about like, I'm, I'm never trying to instill paranoia in anyone. I'm not trying to sensationalize anything, but I'm also trying not to sanitize it because it just feels like, you know, there's a reason I have car insurance. I really hope I never, ever have to use it. But like, there's like two or three like key triggers that if you just learn what to look for, for could could save a friend a family member one of your own children like a lifetime of like pain agony therapy and sometimes way worse like not even you know recovering from it and so i guess since we we have the platform i think the biggest thing i have learned about human trafficking a lot of it happens digitally online a lot of kids get get drawn into it through many different from video games to attention from uh someone of the opposite sex or or someone that makes them feel good about themselves. And again, step 5,000 is not clear when you start step one. I think there's a really good analogy there again. And so, and the thing is that we're talking about kids here, but we was like kids make mistakes and there's a lot of professionals on the other side trying to get the kid to make a slip up. Uh, mm -hmm. Adults make mistakes too. So, but as a parent, I would say, the conversation you need to have with your child about being trafficked and being extorted, particularly online, is number one, do not send, you know, uh, inappropriate photos of yourself to anyone, no matter who you think they are. However, if and when you do make that lack of judgment, I will still love you. And mm -hmm. Please come see me first and talk to me about it because hiding it from me will invite a lifetime of mistakes you cannot correct. So be open as a parent to say, I know, I hope you don't make this mistake. I, I really encourage you, but I can't control every minute I'm with you. And, and, you know, even when the kid's out of your house in 19, 20, 21, they could make that mistake. And you say, look, or 30, but when you do come to me, because I am the only one who has your best interests and will help you. Uh, and so that's just a, a conversation I think most parents aren't having. As you talk about this, it's amazing to me, the impact that you can have through your storytelling, because you can impart advice Someone could share that advice with someone and they listen to it and maybe save themselves from a, 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 just a pile of grief if they hadn't heard that advice and taken heed to it. I, I wanted to switch gears a little and talk about, I had called you a while ago and we spoke, I was trying to raise some money and create a nonprofit. 
And you advised against doing that. And you really urged me to create value. And, you know, you mentioned counseling a young person, a filmmaker. And what would you tell people these days? What's the one thing you would share to some, with someone if you wanted to, to sort of say, hey, I've got a minute on an elevator with them? What's, what's the elevator pitch of advice that you would give someone? I think particularly when we're trying to get on our on our path and that happens typically there's multiple times in life that can happen. It could be when you're, you're trying to figure out what's next for you professionally. It could be uh, as a, I'm just graduating from college or about to graduate from college. What do I do next or how do I elevate my career? And, and it, it is it, it could sound like totally cliche advice, but a couple things I'd say, look, you were born and it's so nice to have a, a openly faith based conversation because I never hide my faith, but I never I oftentimes not able to talk about it like in such an open forum, but in an open forum like this, like, look, God put his fingerprints on you with gifts that he gave you that nobody else has. Not only that, don't forget that it's not only your gifts, it's the experiences that have led you to today. There's literally no other single human being on earth that has had those same experiences mixed with those same skill sets. That is a cocktail for you to have the most impact on the world. So look back and see the five, seven, ten things that have impacted you the most in your life, positive and negative, and realize that, you know, to use the Tony Robbins quote, life happens for you, not to you. Once you recognize mm-hmm. that, um, you're innately going to use your skills. Like if, if you're a great artist and someone says, man, I got I got to work on this children's ministry thing, but I can't figure out. And you just say, oh, yo, I could, I could draw that poster for you. I could design that. No problem. Because you, you have that innate skill set. So if you recognize your innate skill set, and you're not sure what to do next, just show up and serve. And I will yeah. tell you, when you show up and serve in any capacity, opportunity flies at you like unbelievably. At the very least, you'll get experience using your skill sets within a, a, like a commercial or a, you know, a, a setting that more than just yourself doing at your own computer by yourself are going to see. It's a collaboration with you know, the marketplace and other human beings. And then you know, I would just encourage people too to um, there's, we're always going to have to do things that aren't our favorite thing to do. Um, no matter what you do, like if you eat candy all day let's just say there's going to be some piece of candy that's not your favorite so that's that's causing you the most friction so like friction's never going to go away in life but you know if you're doing something like that and you're showing up and serving and you're trying to operate within you know what my mentor Dan Sullivan calls your unique ability which I'd say your unique gifts God gave you um, realize that there are many things that you're not good at that you shouldn't be doing you may have to do them for a while just to ingratiate yourself to, to put in you know to sweep the floors whatever it is like to get in but the more you can stop operating in spaces that are not for you and focus more and more and more on what is for you um, and and serving in that capacity, you'll just be shocked at what sort of opportunities will show up. So I have to ask you sort of a selfish question. Um, I think you know that our radio program is on a nonprofit in the D.C. area. It's a, a secular radio station, I guess you would call it. And when we had our first guest on the air, um, he began to sing a song at one point to Jesus. And me and my co-host were really thrilled, and we were high-fiving each other, but we were kind of joking quietly that we're going to be off the air. Here we are, four and a half years later, we're still on the air, um, and, and we love these people, and they love us. And, and I think, really, there's a great need for uh, Christian content, genuine Christian content, not hyper-political or, or cultish or, or whatever, on regular secular media do you agree with that? Do you believe that that's something that's needed? And if so, how do we go about making that happen? Uh, yeah, wow. That's uh, that's amazing that you 
are thinking to that. I, I also love like trying to meet culture where culture is at and bring Jesus there rather than, I mean, there's a place for the church and I love the church, but the way we, and, and probably many of us have a, a, a twisted version of what God intended the church to be, right? I mean, from buildings to great bands and all that sort of stuff. But but I I think that what you're doing is incredible. I think we do need more of that. And, you know, like for me as a storyteller, I am trying to figure out how do I do Like I did a film a couple of years ago that was uh, really sort of a, it was a self-help film. And I, and I don't think that helping, like self-help and, and getting better is an unchristian concept. It clearly is not. Uh, I mean, human progress and trying to get better and learn more is good. But it was really presented from a secular viewpoint from people from who run faith centers and, and all sorts of multiple religions. And, I, and so I, I asked myself, Nick, should you be the one directing this conversation? Is this what you want the world to know or see? And I went back and forth from like, well, if I don't do it, it's never going to have, I wouldn't, it's not going to have the mark of Jesus that I could try to put on it. If I did, did I would, I was trying to get at the time Rick Warren, the pastor of Purpose Driven Life, because I felt like he was a really relevant voice in sort of like a even in the secular world of like self-help. I, I couldn't at the time. So I didn't get everything I wanted into it. And I may have failed miserably about like, I don't think you watch that film and say that's gospel centric. It, it's not. But it, it, that is part of like that's one piece of work in my life that I thought about and tried. And, and I would say I failed at like making a gospel sense, but I do think it has a, a sense of hope and heart that I think, you know, Jesus would appreciate and that I hopefully helped steward, but it's, it's a constant battle. It's, and, and I think you're going to fail sometimes, but I think you should be willing to test and try and see how can I show up in a way that I can inject and insert the gospel uh, in what I'm doing. In some cases, by the way, being overt about it will get you kicked out. So like understanding, like, what are my goals and motives here? Am I trying, am I, am I going all in with the willingness to get kicked out, which is awesome? Or am I going in a place where I'm going to build relationships and, and, you know, earn the right to share the gospel? And those are just two different things and neither one's right nor wrong. It's just, and I think the most important thing I, I think is, is, I mean, is wrestling with that. Like, that's awesome. The fact that you might even think about that, like rather than going to church every Sunday and then going about your life every other day, which I think we're all guilty of on some level. So I, I, I love it. I think we need more of it. You know, Christian media seems like a huge echo chamber these days. It's all Christians for only Christians all of the time. And we've tried to buck that trend on Grace and 30, and we feature people from all faiths and no faith, as long as they have a story of common grace. We've had Muslims and Jews and people of no professed faith in the program. We hosted a few years ago the spokesman from the Dar al-Hijra Mosque, and he talked about how their Jewish and Christian neighbors rallied around the mosque following some acts of vandalism. Um, we've noticed certain themes repeating over and over when we talk to people, and, and I call these strands of grace— and one of the most dominant themes is the importance of proximity, getting close to people you, you don't know that are different than you, the stranger, the foreigner, uh, someone you may resent. Are you bringing people together like that through your storytelling? Yeah, I mean, clearly it is because, I mean, just if you look at like a base level, like I— my parents watch my documentaries. They're probably one of three people who will watch them, right? But, like, my parents watch them. Hey, I, I watch, watch them. them. <laughs> well, thank you. And, like, they would never have known who 
Anusha Ansari was or Peter Diamandis where they wouldn't will I am they wouldn't know so like yeah and so that's like one example and then like I try to always I mean I'm not always successful because sometimes I'm hired by someone and making and I, and part of the fun of, of documentaries is like you're trying to share truths and like you're like a great character is someone who sort of can't help themselves they're just this is who they are so I always try to make films that my kids can watch um, sometimes you know words that I don't like and I don't endorse make it in because I'm not trying to because it's not my job to filter out and make somebody who I want them to be but in most cases I I can remove that stuff because it's not relevant in some cases it's not but you know even again and in, in, in then in this case with this human trafficking in America film it's intentionally explicit because I want people to know like no this is how certain part of the world like operates and thinks and and converses and and so I got a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, two boys, and I got a 9-year-old daughter. Well, there's no way, you know, on God's green earth, my 9-year-old's watching this thing um, at this point in her life. My 13-year-old, I really got to think about it. And even watching with my with my 15-year-old will be uncomfortable just because it goes into things that's like, I mean, I you know, just how do you have that conversation? So clearly, even on my personal life, it's bringing subject matter and people that would never – my kids likely never would have seen or heard from or connected with. So I, I know on a, ma- on a macro level, it's doing the same thing. So Nick, in about 30 or 40 seconds, what's the most important thing you'd like to share with people? I think the most important thing I share with you right now is, I mean, check on those who you love. Um, you know, phone call, text, very helpful. This is a very isolating time. I, we all know I have a friend who, who took his life a few weeks back and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was great at hiding it or we would have caught it. So it's not, you don't always see it. The people who let you see it, it's because they want the attention. The people who don't let you see it are the ones who are more serious about it. So, like, check in with everyone and share with them that you love them, you're there for them, and, and just do what you can just to, to share and engage. I think, you know, we're lacking in engagement in some ways today because of we can't get together and hug and hang out in a lot of places. And I also, you know, open up dialogue with your kids about what they're doing you you have to you it's no longer acceptable to say i don't really understand the technology these kids are using every day like you can't stop parenting like you're gonna have to learn so just dig in don't let it overwhelm you just i mean your kid would probably love to teach you how to use instagram or how to like like dig in a little bit like dig in and and try to meet them where they're at because it's the only way you're gonna be able to help them so your websites are dnagency.com and dnafilmsonline.com, correct? Yeah, and you can go to nicknanton.com, or if you, if you spell my name correctly, you can find me on almost all social platforms as just Nick Nanton. Nick, thanks again for joining me and for your time a few weeks or a couple months ago on the phone. This is Ed and Nick signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.